So to know that everyone's good and depressed, why don't we head home and... <laughs> I'm gonna take a, just a few minutes today and talk about goals, setting goals. And, and if you're anything like me, whenever I set goals, they either don't um, turn out the way I anticipated them to turn out, or I just don't keep them. And we're in the middle of this Daniel Plan series where we're discovering how do we glorify, how we can glorify God, especially in an area that we've, I think we've, churches have traditionally neglected the areas of, of fitness and food and focus and, and friends. Faith, yeah, we may focus on that, but how all those, those things are interconnected and we can bring God, glory to God with our bodies. But when it comes time to it, at the end of the day, we're got to kind of have like, where are we going with this? Well, where am I headed or whatever? And, and, um, and in my own life, whenever I set goals, I find quite often I, I, I trip up. Something trips me up. And, and sometimes it's because I've got great other options. So I have a decision sometimes, can I be gluten-free or eat cookies? And it's always cookies, and that's where I head. That's what I want. It's, it's there. It's in front of me. It smells good. It's delicious. Some of you can very much relate to that. And when we come to these things, and we, and we, when we struggle through them, we're, we, we go, why do we? And it gets so discouraging. and gets kind of depressing and down, just like we saw in that video there. And I've had times in my life where I, I, I set goals, I actually achieve them early, and then once I've crossed that threshold, I've achieved that goal, I stop maintaining that goal. So last year, I think I shared with some of you, I had a goal to do a certain amount of push-ups in one sitting. I actually achieved that goal early, and then I actually went surpassed it, and then after a couple months, I got kind of bored and moved on to other things, and now can't even do like two push-ups, because you kind of like things, things, and, and some of us have done that. We've had experiences like that. When I was candidating at Richview four years ago, I don't think any of you know this story, but I was gluten-free, and if you're familiar with that, it's basically, gluten-free is just a nice way of saying, um, don't eat fast food ever, and stay away from bread, basically, like, if you're hardcore, it's kind of like, I know there's, there's options, but what happened was, I, when I started interviewing here, I weighed 208 pounds. In three months, I was down to 148. Awesome, right? Guess what? My goal in being gluten-free wasn't to lose weight. My goal, I have an autoimmune disease, and my goal actually had been, I've been told if I go gluten-free, it shows, it's been shown in some research to help this disease. So I lost all this weight. I, I suppose if I had continued to do gluten-free, I would have been like nothing left to me, but it actually didn't help my disease. So you could look at, wow, look at, he's achieving. That wasn't even the goal I set out to. So I'm excellent at achieving things unintentionally. <laughs> I don't know about you, but, if, you know, but I've had other moments where, I, you know what, I'm gonna be gluten-free to lose weight. Never works. Why is it? when we set some of these goals, for most of us set any goals, we never ever seem to keep them. Why is it so hard? And I would suggest, and this is not rocket science, but it's because of this. It's because of upgrades and 
experience, and it's, and it's this idea, yeah, but it's this idea of upgrades and experiences. We live in this world that is completely and totally about us not achieving our goals. We live in this world that's all about upgrades and experiences. You get the newest phone, you're waiting for the next version. And, and you want that so you have a certain experience because you want the next experience to be better and better and better. How can we possibly keep goals when we're so distracted by what's in front of us? Upgrades and experiences. We have a world that's bent on making sure it robs us of what we want. Did you know this? Of course you knew this. You, you knew this. So when, when new experiences, new exciting things come along, or new upgrades come along, you may have had this goal in mind. Those things completely take you off track, off course. And here's the problem here. If you ever, ever want to achieve your goal, or what you really value, no one's ever going to help you with this. And we live in this world, in this culture, in this society where uh, you can sit down with your friends at school, on campus, at work, your neighbors, they will not help you with this. And you might have a couple friends that you may talk on this level, but generally speaking, no one's going to help you get and achieve your goals. That's just the world we live in. And I find this very helpful, as, especially as I was going through this and thinking about what it must be like for everybody in our surrounding neighborhood, what they think about our church. So within a kilometer of Richview, there's about 12,000 people. And for many of them, they have some kind of church background. And as I've gotten to know many of them, most of them aren't here today, if you've noticed. And one of the biggest reasons and I use this metaphor, it's my metaphor, you may not like it, but I think a big reason why a lot of people don't come to church is because they view church like going to the dentist. They know it's good for them. They don't like being made feel guilty to floss and to take care of their teeth. They know it's good for them, they know, but you know what? Two times a year is about all they can take. Easter, Christmas, and, and even that sometimes is just a little bit too much. And, it's, and I also think, and why is that? Why do they have that thinking? And it's because when they came to church, they were introduced to a God and a faith that said, you've got to be this. This is the way you got to look. This is the, the moral code you have to keep. You got to do this, this, this. And guess what? They couldn't do it. So every week was a reminder, a guilty reminder, I can't do this. And they also began to believe that that's what God re required of them too. And they got so frustrated, for many of them, they walk away. Even though they believe in God, they walked away. They couldn't do it. So what I want to just take a couple minutes today I want to talk about is how do you set goals that you will actually succeed with? Goals that you'll actually be successful with. And, and let me read to you, if you're ready here, I hope, I hope this is helpful and practical for you today, but I hope, hope, hope it's transformation, transformational. But believe it or not, this series Daniel Plan is named after a guy named Daniel. So I want to read to you a little bit about him. And this is a guy who was a young man He's taken from his homeland 
Israel, and he's taken a ba- Babylon, the empire of Babylon, which is all about assimilating people into their upgrades and their experiences. And Babylon had all the upgrades and all the experiences. So let me read to you from Daniel chapter 1. Great, great story somewhere in this book. Here we go. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. So Daniel's taken from his land. He's brought to another land. They're trying to assimilate him and his buddies amongst all the, into the culture. And he's with all these smart guys. And he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths in your age, I am afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of the staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of food and wine provided for others. Cool story. Did Daniel get what he wanted? How did he do it? And if you ever read about his remarkable life, He was always getting what he wanted. He was always achieving his goals. And why is it? Because he understood this very, very important thing. Let me show you to you. Daniel understood. Now check this out. When we know what we really value, we are less prone to settle for what we merely want. Does that make sense? I don't want to say you have to like it, but I hope it makes sense. When we know, and you got to know, When we know what we really value, we are less prone to settle for what we merely want. And here's the problem. In my life, maybe in yours too, especially when it comes to goal setting, we have no idea what we really value. We just think we do. And so we we tend to set the bar low And then when experiences and upgrades come right in front of us, we're just walking in that. Are you tracking with me? So the challenge is, how how on earth do we figure out what we really value, what we ultimately value? How do do we do that? Because our, our society teaches, who cares? Who cares what we eat? Who cares what we do? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we shall... Right? And when the thing, and sometimes, especially, I had, I've had so many great conversations the last couple of weeks, but it's like goal setting, goal setting, yuck! Sounds like hard work. At my age, no, I want to eat, drink, and I'm, I'm, I'm done with that stuff. If you've, if you've ever sat with some people as their lives are coming to an end, maybe on their deathbed or in their weeks or months leading up, 
uh, and most of you would know, know this, know this um, response, but what's the greatest regret people have when they die? Greatest regret, and you've heard, all probably heard this before, that people have on their deathbeds is that they didn't take enough risk. You've heard this, right? They didn't take enough risk. But let me, let me give you an example of another thing And I want to specifically just pick on dads for a second. Dads, do you know there's one thing for certain I know that all dads value? All dads value this, and the majority of dads have no idea. All dads value, check this out, check this out. They value the respect of their kids. All dads want the respect of their kids. All dads, when they get older and where their kids move out, they want kids who want to come and be with them even when they don't ask. All dads want this. And young dads, if you don't believe me, sit down with the older dads and granddads in here after the service and ask them if I'm wrong. Ask them if I'm wrong. We all want the respect of our kids. And a lot of men, though, they're not tuning their clocks, they're not tuning their dials to that goal, are they? Our culture says what? Men, dads, we value cars, vacations, stuff, money, 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 and there's all good things. But if we know that one thing that all dads have in common ultimately want at the end of their lives, the respect of their kids, what kind of impact would that have on your goal setting? Imagine taking, you know this, you may not agree with that at this time and place, but you know one day, the day's gonna come, I'm gonna set my watch, I'm gonna set my life, and one of the ultimate goals is I never, ever, ever will sacrifice losing the respect of my kids. I will not let things, I will not let flings, I will not let sins such as pornography and and lust accompanied with it. I won't let gambling, I I, I, I won't let adultery, I won't won't let some of these surfing, I won't let busyness, I won't let workaholism, I, I, I won't let media, I won't let gaming and all these distractions. I will not let those things sacrifice losing the respect of my kids. Imagine if dads set their clock to that. I would argue, I would suggest they're probably going to be a little less prone to settling. Would you agree? I'm not saying it's not going to be easy. But when we understand what we really value, we are less prone to settle for what we merely want, even though we have this world that's trying to distract us with upgrades and experiences. And those upgrades and experience, don't don't get me wrong, because I don't want to make you feel guilty. There's nothing wrong with those things unless they distract you from what you really value, what's really important. Does that make sense? Yeah. We were created, you and I, we were created. What we were created for is connected to who we were created by. And when we discover what we value, we're less prone to settle for what we merely want. I want the respect of my kids as a dad. 
So I'm going to align my life to things so that when I'm older and when they're older, I'm less likely to lose that respect. I've already failed a lot of ways, but man, oh man, oh man, I'm going to strive for that. Let me give you one more thing you need to know, and then we'll get out of here. So how do the rest of us figure out goals to set? And for all of us, how do we know what really we should ultimately value? Well, if you're a Jesus follower, I would suggest we have an advantage. I would argue we have an advantage. We have something to set our clock by. When you create time and space to read this thing and to listen for God's voice, I would say you have an advantage. But here's the thing, when it comes to sitting down with this thing, you have to learn to read God's book and understand it the way God intended it to. You have to begin to see how God sees. Because every time you crack this book, I was taught this so many times in Bible college, every time you crack this book, you come face to face with God. You come face to face with God. So don't be surprised if you're reading this thing. You're going to start to discover His will, and that in turn is going to reveal to you what you ultimately value and what you ultimately want, not just some superficial short-term thing, but this ultimate thing that you'll be less prone, less frustrated by achieving. So, so, so when it comes to this, how do we, how do we get this God lens? How, how do we get this way so that we see the world differently? And so for the third week in a row, I'm going to take you to the exact same passage of Scripture. And I hope after six weeks, maybe this one will get into you. And I know for some of you, this passage has been just messing with you in so many good ways. But let me give you a little bit of background here from Romans chapter 12. This passage is written by a Christian hater and a Christian murderer. And one day this guy's journeying on a road to go arrest some Christians, and he encounters Jesus. And after this encounter, he becomes the most energetic and transformed Jesus follower, perhaps in history. And he starts going around all the Mediterranean region, planting churches, telling people about Jesus. And he ends up writing like half of the, what we call the New Testament. And so he writes this letter to the church in Rome. And, and in the section here, he talks about discovering what's most important. Here's how you find out what's most important. Here's how you can, you set your goals based on this and you'll have far less chance of being prone to being distracted. And he says this. I'm reading in a different translation. And so, my dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And if you are here last week, we talked about, because this is chapter 12 of Romans, this guy named Paul, he's already written 11 chapters telling us about all that God has done for us. And he goes, if you read those 11 chapters, you get to chapter 12 and you get it, and you're like, the only rational thing to do is to give your bodies to God. If you're irrational, you'll be like, well, I'll just keep, but based on what God has done, the only rational thing to do, he's saying, is to give 
your bodies to God. But he uses this, this very strange phraseology. He says, make yourselves a living sacrifice. And, and we're kind of like, and if you want to put that in modern day words, he's basically saying, make your life a living killing. I don't know if that helps you at all. It makes you think it's the pastor telling us to be serial killers. That's not what I'm saying. But here's what he's getting at. Pardon my um, primitive sacrificial system. I always like including Jimbo in services. But, it, but in Old Testament times, even in Jesus' day, they did sacrifices. They did animal sacrifices. And especially in Judaism, the picture was you would take the living animal, in this case Jimbo, you would slash his neck, capture all the blood, and then you would take this dead animal and put it on the altar and burn up. You might take parts of it and cook it. It's kind of like a really glorified barbecue. But the picture there was, the whole reason was, because you had some kind of guilt, some kind of sin that needed to be taken care of. Because when you do something wrong, there's consequences. So when you sin, it separates you from God. So the understanding was, this, this animal, this sacrifice, it was a picture of transference. I put my hands on it. That animal became me. Slice neck, capture its blood. Its blood and its sacrifice was basically a picture of, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. Atone for my sin. Make me right with you. So Paul's talking. He's connecting with this, this Old Testament idea. But he says, now because of what Jesus has done, you're to be a living sacrifice. And so what he's doing is he's kind of capturing two pictures here. He's saying, okay, the Old Testament, they would take animals and you had, because your sin had to be paid for. There's consequences. And he's saying now, do your sins still need to be paid for? Yes. But what he's getting at, because of what Jesus did on the cross, he was a once and for all time ultimate sacrifice. You don't have to keep killing your dogs and cats in your house. You no longer have to do that. So there's sin to be dealt with, but because of Jesus, if you make Jesus your life leader, your sin forgiver, you never, ever, ever have to go back and sacrifice a live animal. But this living sacrifice thing, it's even more than that. What he's also getting at is you need you, with your bodies, with your life, you need to be a living sacrifice. So let's stick with the picture here. And what he's saying is, I don't know if you've ever done this before. I'm not recommending it, but let's just pretend for a second Jimbo's alive. And what Paul's getting at here, if you've never done this before, I'm not saying try it, but maybe you can find it on YouTube. But imagine taking live Jimbo and putting him on the sacrifice. What's he going to do? He's going to get off. And here's what Paul's talking about in a very paradoxical way. He's saying, that's what you're supposed to do. But what's the problem with living sacrifices? They get off the... They get off the altar. Because being on the altar is what? Literally it... It burns, it hurts, does it not? If anyone's been burned before, it's like, my hand's over the stove, do you keep it there? No, it hurts, you remove it. And Paul's like, no, no, no. Because of what God's done... 
This is how, you, and because your sins are dealt with, this is how you need to spend the rest of your life. That dentist thing's starting to sound pretty good right now, isn't it? Because <laughs> this sounds like death, doesn't it? This sounds awful. But Paul's making the point, if you give yourself away to God daily, it, it's going to feel like death because you're going to start changing. And it's going to hurt as you give your, your thoughts, your actions, your life to God. It's going to hurt. But guess what? At the end, you'll truly be living. And we talked about last week how I had this nasty old suit jacket on. And it wasn't, it was, it, was, it was familiar to me. I liked it. It made me feel comfortable, but you know what? It didn't keep me warm. So off I went to Sears just before it closed and found myself a new jacket. And I went to the change room to try it on. And before I try that new jacket on, which I know is going to keep me warm, it's going to do the job, what must I first do? I got to take off the old, but I don't want to take off the old because it's comfortable. It's a lot of work to move my shoulders. Arthritis, you know, like, right. But if I really want what I know is better for me, what I know is going to do what a coat's supposed to do, I got to get the old off. And for those of you who hate that metaphor, how about, let me, let me give you woodworkers one. Imagine you go to Value Village. I, that's where I do all my shopping. And, and you buy yourself a coffee table, and it's got some old paint on it, and you're like, I'm going to make this thing beautiful. I'm going to stain it up. You take it home and you begin staining it. What's the problem? You, you got to get the old paint off, right? And so you work at it and you work at it and you, you got to get the grime, and the junk, and it's painful and it's so much work. But then the day comes that you stain it and it's this finished piece of work. And you're like, yes, I'm glad I didn't settle. And Paul comes along and he's like, you want to experience pleasure? You want to experience goodness? You want to, you want to get what you ultimately want? You want to be so mature and complete? This thing here? You got to let it die. This thinking you had that this is yours, it's not yours. It's God's. It's on loan to you. And this thinking that I can do whatever I want, he's saying, you've got to throw that on the altar too. Because God's got this magnificent and huge plan for your life, so you need to be constantly going to the altar, to the, altar, to the sacrifice, and saying, God, not my will, but your will be done. God, it's not about my plans, my dreams. It's about what you alter. And when we align ourselves to that, Paul Paul says this, and it's absolutely brilliant. Not only will you be transformed, but you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And what happens is when you start to give yourself over to being what's called a Jesus follower, your mind's renewed. You begin to extract the lies the world's taught you about money, about marriage, about relationships. Even for Christians, do you know Jesus came to save Christians? Because a lot of us here, we're here because this is how we were culturally raised. 
And a lot of us need an infusion of God's spirit in our lives. And a lot of us need to be freed from the lies of religion that have made us buy into the lie that I have to do this and this and this so God will be pleased. But there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And he he says this, when you begin to extract this stuff, your mind renews and you begin to see how God sees and God's will for you, and this is the best part, which is good and pleasing and perfect, good for you. That means this. Good for you, it means you get what you want. You get what you ultimately want. When you align with God's purposes, God's plans, hey dads, guess what? God wants your kids to respect you. And there's other things we could sit down and talk about, because this plans for Ladies, plans, whatever age and state, God's got these ultimate plans for you. And pleasing here, he says, what's that mean? You'll feel God's pleasure in your life. Have you felt God's pleasure in your life? There's nothing like it. And it also says to be perfect. And what that means is you're going to be grown up, mature. You're going to be a big boy. Can I invite the band up at this time? Hey, dads, hey, moms. Let's pick on moms, too. What does a perfect parent want from their kids? Let me say that again. You might just be waking up. What does a perfect parent want from their kids? Nothing. A perfect parent wants nothing from their kids. They want nothing from their kids. They want things for their kids. And the Bible describes God as our perfect father. This perfect father who doesn't want anything from you. But he wants the most incredible things for you. He wants you to have the best life that he intended for you. And maybe some of you here, you, you ran away from church because as a kid, you were told about a God who wanted things from you. Maybe you heard it from someone like me. Maybe you heard it from some well-meaning person. And it just turned you completely off church. And I hope today, I hope in our time together now, you've encountered this perfect Father God who wants things for you and it's for you. What does God want for you? He created you in his image. That breath you just took, that's his. The God who loves you, he revealed himself to you as Jesus. Living the life we should have lived, dying the death we should have died. What does God want for you? Much more than upgrades and experiences. Way more. And after hearing this, you may go, you know what? This Christianity thing, this sacrifice thing, it all, I don't want anything to do with it. I'm going to live life free in the way I want. And let me just break you of that lie. Every one of us is sacrificing to something. Every one of us is worshiping something. And what I'd like to challenge you with is, do you really want to die to that thing? because it'll take you into the ground. These passages we read today tell us that if we make God our ultimate, he's infinitely wise and loving. 
I also like being reminded when I read this stuff that there's a truer and there's a greater Daniel. His name's Jesus, and he was offered bread. He was offered everything his life has to give him, and he said, no. He lived in a world, but wasn't of sinners. He lived among sinners and never became sin. And on the cross, he became sin for all of us, and he bore God's wrath. So you can leave today with great hope that in Christ Jesus' uncompromising stand against worldliness, it's going to take the cross to beat our compromises. And as I pray right now, you can have your eyes open, you can have your eyes shut. But have you met Jesus? Have you leaned into Jesus? Have you leaned into the one who's paid the ultimate price so that you could be free? And if you haven't done that, if you haven't experienced that relationship with a perfect father, or it's maybe it's time to renew, or maybe you've been trying to even set goals outside of him, today's the day to hit refresh. And if you want to pray with me, great. Maybe today I just, I just want to start new with you, Jesus. Let's pray. God, I want, you, I want to thank you for the reminder that we're not on our own, that you love us so much, that you came down as Jesus. And God, we're, we're in need of a sin forgiver. And this once and for all time ultimate one you gave us in your perfect son, you don't want anything from us. You're offering us this gift. And God, we receive it arms wide open. And we know as if we say yes to you, it's, it's a journey, it's a process, and you're not finished with that process. You're going to be working on us, and it's going to hurt at times. But you're going to transform us and make us more mature and complete. It's going to be good, and it's going to be pleasing, and it's going to be perfect what you're going to do in and through us. Help us to lean into you. We ask God that you um, would come into our lives, take care of all our junk, renew us, make us new. And the best part is, God, we know because of all this, we get to start a relationship